everyone. Welcome to episode five of Crazy Talk. This is KYT, joined by my co-hosts, John, Alex, and Frank. And after listening to the feedback of our last cast, we decided to put John and Alex in a room for an hour to resolve their differences. And I, I think... I think they were able to pull it off, right, John? Yeah, it's amazing what you do when you just make out with a guy, and it just, like, <laughs> solves everything. Yeah, like, after an hour in the room, Medina had a few bruises, a black eye, and everything was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you look at a picture of me and look at a picture of Alex, people will just have a hard time believing that. <laughs> <laughs> Why, so, they're afraid you'd sit on me or something? <laughs> exactly. So what we're going to try to do this cast is we're going to try not to... uh not to fight with each other. We'll just uh, we'll just give maybe differing opinions, but uh, we're we're gonna try not to duke it out, and that's for you guys as the listeners. Yeah, big but anyways, hug to you, John, big hug, big hugs. I love <laughs> Alex. He's such a cool guy. Oh man, this is yeah, gay. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so we have a we have a guest tonight, a really special guest, and um, his He's name not is retarded, John. No, <laughs> not special in that way. I mean, I mean like legacy specialist kind of special, and that's Drew Levin. Say hi, Drew. Hey guys, how you doing? I mean, his Twitter name's MTG Legacy, so I do feel like we have a special guest with us today. There was a lot of action under that name today too. I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, Aaron Forsyth and uh, Conley Woods and a couple other people. We're having a really good conversation about the uh, legacy duels and sort of the, the viability of the format, but I'm sure we'll get to that later, right? Right. So yeah. John has, has it's, this is his idea, so I'll credit all, all of this to him. So we're going to start a new segment called The Five, where we're going to ask five questions to any guest and any future guest that we're going to have. So here we go. I'm going to shoot the five questions. Real quick. Now, Drew, when you answer these questions, these are going to be questions that we ask every guest, the same five questions. And what we want to avoid is we want these five questions not to be like the two-hour cast, because I'm sure that you can give huge answers for each of them. But we want you to try to answer these questions in like a two- to four- to five-minute time span. You know what I mean? Okay. So go ahead, KYT. So question one, how did you get into Legacy? Uh, pretty much everyone around me was playing it. Uh, Northern Virginia is a huge Legacy stronghold, and uh, a lot of my friends at my local card shop were playing it. And so they said, well, here's a deck. You know, the local event is on this day, and uh, yeah, we'll see you there. And <laughs> I got hooked, and I never looked back. Okay. Was this was this a long time ago or uh... Uh, this was back when High Tide decks played Reset and not Candelabra of Thanos. AKA a long time ago. Yeah, Real that sounds like ago. a long time ago. <laughs> uh, this was before Counterbalance was printed. All right. So you were you were there like I, I guess that was almost like the beginning of Legacy. It, it was after GP Philadelphia. <laughs> um, but before GP Chicago. All right. Okay. Question two. What's your favorite magic card and why? Uh, Eternal Witness. Just actually can't get enough of rebuys. I, I mean, like, think, think of your favorite thing to do. And think, well, what's, what's better than this? Doing it again, right? Like, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's what's better than doing it once, is doing it twice. 
That's a very good answer. That's an awesome answer. <laughs> and you go to one body attached, right? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so, like, if you wanted to get back Cabal Therapy, then you actually just take all of their spells. And, like, <laughs> God forbid you actually have Volrath Stronghold, then it just gets absurd. <laughs> Question three. What are you trying to do for the community, and why should we care? <laughs> so, what I want to do is... Uh, basically promote Legacy as sort of a format on the level of uh, Type 2 or Sealed or Draft or, you know, EDH even. Um, something that people sit down and just play at their local game store. And, you know, to that effect, I really want to see it catch on in communities across America, across the globe, um, and see it supported in local events, because I think that that's what will really determine whether or not the format is successful, is not whether or not you know it continues to be the Sunday format of the SCG Opens, although that's certainly helpful, and Star City Games has done a lot for the format, but whether or not it catches on as like a you know Wednesday night legacy sort of thing. Like wh- whether stores can get you know 15 people to show up on a Wednesday night and, you know, play, you know, breakfast versus goblins. Like, whether that's something that people are willing to do. And I want to convince people that, yeah, that's awesome. And that the format is at least as fun as casting Squadron Hawks and Great Titans. <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people are getting into Legacy right now is because, um, you know, kind of Jace is starting to be in the red zone where people want to start shipping it because it's, like, going to be rotating soon. I mean, for all intent, intensive purposes. Yeah. And and then, like, everyone's just thinking, man, like, do I really want to play against Kago all day long or should I just explore other avenues of playing Magic, you know? Right, and, you know, whenever there's an SCG open within driving distance of them, they're like, oh, well, there's this thing on Saturday, and I have a deck for that. And I suppose that there's this thing on Sunday, and, you know, there's a lot of decks that look pretty sweet and play a lot of awesome cards. Like, maybe I should look into that. And that's exactly what I want to hear from people. You know, it it, it hurts me every time I sit down across from someone on the Saturday, and, you know, I say, so are you coming tomorrow? And they say, oh, no, I don't have a legacy deck. And inside, I'm like, why? Why don't you have a legacy deck? Like, <laughs> this format is not more expensive than standard. Like, the cards mm-hmm. that you are playing, their their total cost is the same as, like, my legacy deck. It's not hard. <laughs> I've said that to Alex many times in the past before I got into legacy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I think recently also, like, a lot, a lot more of... Uh, Standard car, uh, standard cards are breaking into legacy, you know, because like you see guys printed like Noble Hierarch and uh, Knight of the Reliquary, so like they like they're 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 kind of feeding the format very well. Yeah, I think that uh, Wizards of the Coast has done a lot to sort of balance the power of spells in legacy with uh, more recently printed creatures. Like Wild Nakata was sort of the first in the wave of really really good creatures. Um, like, before Tarmogoyf, creatures in Legacy were awful. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, in 2005, the best two-drop in green was Werebear. <laughs> like, like a 1-1 one, one for two, then when you had seven cards in your graveyard, it was a 4-4, four, four, and it tapped but, for green. But he tapped for green. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. So so you, you have this Llanowar Elves that you paid one more for, and you cast all of these cantrips, and now he's a 4-4. Four, four, and that's awesome. And then they printed Termogoyf, and then they printed Wild Nicodle and Mirror Regery, and Kasali Pride Mage, and Progenitus, and Emrakul, and now we are where we are. <laughs> um, question four. You're going to get into a bar fight, and you can pick one member of the magic community to get your back. Who's your pack one, pick one? I mean, it's got to be Jerry Thompson, right? Like, he took a punch for Alex Bertoncini, and I'm pretty sure that that kid runs his mouth way more than I do. Like, <laughs> he could probably take a punch for me, too, right? Like, it, it stands to reason. Everybody's on the Jerry train these days. <laughs> hey, it's a good train to be on. The the man is nothing but solid gas. Um, Drew, I have to admit that I started uh, reading your articles because he was pipping you out. So definitely, uh, you definitely owe it to Jerry for (laughs) for getting me. I I, I owe a lot to Jerry. (laughs) All right. So uh, since KYT is a little scaredy cat, um, I'm going to (laughs) ask. I'm going to ask question number five, Drew. All right, Drew, what's the craziest thing <laughs> that you've ever done? Um, I, I suppose that, that since this is a magic podcast, you probably want to hear about the craziest thing that I've ever done in uh, in magic, right? It, no, any, you could pick the craziest thing. Anything. The, well, I'm sorry. The craziest thing <laughs> out of anything that you've ever done. I mean, like, if we're talking about, like, lifetime, like, I dropped out of high school in 10th grade and went to college at 15. That was kind of crazy. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> um, I mean, like, I, I guess I uh, I got thrown out of a GP top eight for uh, making a joke about something I didn't do. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are probably my top two. Awesome. 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 So speaking speaking of the GP, this is this just segues into one of these questions that we have down for you, kind of like interview style questions, and you can take as long as you want to answer this, um, or as short as you want. <laughs> so, like, uh, do you think that this whole incident at the GP, <laughs> this whole like West Coast check incident, do you think that helped your like? Because right now, let's face it, you're you are becoming. The legacy specialist, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're becoming a superstar. Do you think that this helped, like, kind of jettison you, so to speak? I think that people were definitely more aware of my name, but definitely not who I was. Definitely my name, um, after, after Columbus. Um, yeah, cause to be, to be honest, like, I, I hadn't heard about you until Columbus. Right. Same here. I mean, I, I didn't really have any major tournament finishes. Um, I think that I had a pretty sweet deck for Columbus. I played well, and I got lucky, you know, as any you know person really has to do to top eight a GP. You have to run good. Um, and so I, I put myself in a position to do really well and um, got a real bad beat. And I think that that's something that everyone can really identify with, right? Like, mm-hmm. everyone has, at some point in their lives, gotten screwed. And so it, it, it's easy, I think, to identify with someone who 
starts off their their public life, so to speak, uh, getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it, it wasn't you know had had I been able to pick you know how I make my entrance into the magic community as far as it's not <laughs> how I would want to start things off, but you know it, it certainly made people aware of who I was. And I think that my chat with Pat Shapin afterwards was really helpful in sort of balancing how I viewed uh, magic, how I viewed the community, how I viewed uh, where I was in life, and sort of how, how I considered magic as a hobby and as a potential lifestyle going forward. And that was really helpful. Yeah, I think, like, after that happened, I mean, someone had actually said this same. The reason I'm asking you is because I just want I just wanted you to put it out there because someone asked me the same thing, the same question about you. They were like, "Do you think that the Wesco incident helped uh, Drew Levin to become who he is today, as far as like the the you know notoriety or whatever?" And I said, "I don't really think it. I don't think it did because you were going to be top eight in the GP, you know." <laughs> So right. like, so right. if you if you would have top eighted the GP, then you, yeah, your name would have been just as as you would have been writing articles about top eighting, you know what I mean, and like you know other stuff. I think the cool thing that did happen was that we got to see your character as a person through this, and we wouldn't have been able to see that if you top eight it, you know what I mean? Because like reading like your your open letter to the community, I read that, and I read all the other stuff that was going back and forth, and I thought it was like I thought it was really classy. Uh, the way that you approached it, and I was just, I was really impressed, to be honest. I was just like, damn, you know, I'd be pretty friggin' pissed if this happened to me, and this kid is like, <laughs> you know, this kid is really taking it in stride, and he's like, yeah. put, he's got such a good perspective on it, you know? I mean, thank you. Um, I think that the incident really built a lot of character. I think that, you know, I, I, I mean, f- full disclosure, like, I was an immature 19-year-old that's why I made the stupid remark I did. Um, you know, I was, it, that, that week was particularly eventful. I was coming off, you know, a, a breakup from like a year long relationship. And so the legacy GP was sort of something that I'd been looking forward to all summer. And it was supposed to be sort of the, 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 the big event that happened in my summer. And I was really excited to do well. You know, I was going to like call my parents and be like, Hey mom and dad, I made a thousand dollars at least. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was going to be awesome. And then I was left with this sort of sinking feeling, and I was like, well, this sucks. You know, let let me figure out how I can not just feel like I want to drive my car into a guardrail <laughs> every single mile marker uh-huh. that I pass from Columbus to New York to D.C. Um, on the way home. And so I, I resolved, you know, pretty much as soon as Ingrid said, you know, my decision's final, you're not playing in the top eight. I was like, well, I need to find someone who isn't my friend to talk to me. I need to find someone who isn't going to just say, oh, that sucks, let me buy you dinner, let me buy you a drink, let me, you know, make you feel better about this. Mm-hmm. Because that that would have been a really easy thing to do. And it would have been something that I think a lot of people would have gravitated towards. Because, you know, being hurt sucks, and so what do you do? You figure out how to lessen that as much as possible and eventually try and push it down and ignore it. But, you know, it was a huge lesson for me. It was 
you know, shit happens, dude. And sometimes, you know, you, you aren't really expecting it and you have to roll with the punches and the punches can be pretty brutal. So figure out how to take them and figure out what you're supposed to be learning from this. And in my case, I learned that I could either, you know, have this and my magic career, right? Like, I mean, it, it would have been very easy for me to just drive home and be like, well, I was going to make a GP top eight. I didn't. I got robbed. This sucks. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. And that, that would have been the end of it. But, you know, I very, I just as easily could have said, well, you know, this sucks, but I'm going to find the next GP and I'm going to go there and I'm going to see if this wasn't just a fluke. If, you know, I really am ready to take my game to the next level, if I can do this again. And so I didn't end up going to Toronto. Um, I had, you know, just graduated college in May, but I, uh, I focused on, you know, what I wanted to do with my life and ended up actually having a really good, uh, playtesting session and then dinner with, uh, Star City Games editor, uh, Steve Satan in New York City. I think it was, uh, Christmas Eve or thereabouts. And, you know, worked up the guts to ask him, well, you know, do you need someone to write legacy content for you? I'm really interested. And he said, well, actually, you know, yeah, uh, that would be really cool. And I said, well, what do you want me to write about? And he said, actually, I'm looking for an article on Time Spiral because this was, you know, like two or three days after Time Spiral got unbanned. Yep. I said, I can do that. And so I talked with all of my friends and teammates in the Virginia area, and I said, well, you know, how, how would you go about making a time spiral deck? And I looked at historical lists and I eventually came up with, you know, a mono blue spiral deck and a blue green spiral deck. And I said, well, the blue green one seems pretty sweet. You know, let's, let's write about that one. And so I did and never really looked back. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool article. I, I've been reading the legacy cause I like legacy. Obviously I'm on the premier legacy cast here. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I've been reading the articles and I thought, I thought there was a lot of interesting, like, I think you do a good job at, at writing and I, I'm glad that you asked Steve and that we have like, you know, a good legacy writer and the stuff that you write about is not necessarily like, the mainstream legacy decks all the time, you know, like when you did that whole week on um, ancient tomb decks. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that was freaking awesome because, like, you know, you could feasibly just run one of those decks or work on one, you know, and like and do okay with it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was sort of the idea. Is you know, here's a card that you guys say, oh well, yeah, that's a land. It does this. Okay, uh, next. And I wanted to say, well, wait, like. Think about all of the different ways you can actually use this land. Like, yes, I get it. You can cast Chalice of the Void on one on turn one. Like, congratulations. You figured out that Chalice of the Void on one costs two. It makes two mana, and you can make it on turn one. That's awesome. And you figured out that, like, that plus Mox Diamond means you can cast Trinisphere, and then they can't cast their Ponder and find their second land. That's cool, too. But, like, <laughs> That's really cool. But what about, <laughs> like, casting Garrick and Zenithing for Terastodon? Like, that that is something that you could also do and like people people need to go that far out of the box 
whenever they look at a card. And I wanted to inspire people to sort of go that far with every card that they look at. Wow. That's awesome. Frank, you, you had some questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what I wanted to ask about is that, like, whenever whenever they're in SCG Open, like, we obviously kind of, like, look at the, like, the, de- the deck list that make the top 16. But, like, you, by going to these tournaments yourself, you know, like, you get to see more of what gets played under that. And uh, I think last week the deck that won was one of those decks that was getting played but wasn't getting much success. And then they finally got it finally got the big win. So mm-hmm. I I was kind of like wanting to ask you like what are these decks that like maybe we they're under the radar right now and but they're getting played in the SCGs and they're kind of like the upcoming decks, you know? Uh sure. Um, I, I think that, to, to answer your question, I think that Caleb Gerward has uh, designed quite a few good decks in his day. Um, I mean, he, he made the uh, original blue-green Vengevine survival deck that eventually led to a survival getting the Van Hammer. Um, and, you know, he designed the blue-red Painter Grindstone deck with Goblin Welder that uh, won SCGLA. Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting decks out there. I think that uh, what's really fascinating about the SCG Opens is that um, about half of any given field is pretty consistently um, merfolk, uh, zoo of some sort. It can be steplinks, but more often than not, it's, you know, uh, Green Sun Zenith uh, zoo with, you know, a smidgen of burn, you know, like lightning bolts, but not chain lightnings. Um and then uh, goblins, and so th- that that's just pe- people will always play that, and so you you can innovate a lot off of that. Um, I I recently have picked up Team America, have liked it a lot, <laughs> um, but you know the, there's definitely a lot of room for innovation on the circuit. There's definitely a lot of room for you know just playing stock lists, playing very very well and getting rewarded for that. And there's also room for, you know, being someone like Ari Lax, going to a tournament, knowing that you're casting Dark Ritual, and, you know, 8 owing into top 8 anyway. <laughs> um, I, I think that um, you, you really can do almost anything you want as long as you understand how your deck is going to play against, you know, the, the major three decks, Merfolk, Zoo, and Goblins. And as long as you have, like, a real concrete plan for what you're going to do against the other, you know, popular archetypes, the the black disruption decks, the blue combo decks, the white aggressive decks, and so on. Is there is there anything that you're kind of, like, working on right now that uh, you can give us a scoop, uh, or...? I mean, I, I've been trying to break solitary confinement, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I looked at the uh, top eight from Los Angeles, and I was like, well, Dredge can't really beat Sterling Grove post solitary confinement, and uh, I guess neither can Burn, and I guess I guess Painter could red blast the uh, Grove and then the confinement and then grind you, but. You know, if you get if you get two groves in a confinement, which doesn't seem that unrealistic, 
then 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 they're probably just dead to that one too, right? Like assuming that you can upkeep your confinement, then that's fine. What what does that just be like enchantress then at that point? I mean the yeah, I mean that that's that's what I came away from a local tournament uh thinking and then I realized that I didn't really want to be casting Wild Growth Utopia Sprawl Argothian Enchantress and Enchantress's Presence. Like those are all real bad cards. <laughs> uh, like, like if you're just like, oh, you know what I want to play on turn two? A one and a green creature. And I'd be like, right on, cast your Tarmogoyf. Like, let's see what happens. And you're like, no, 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 no. I want to cast an O one with Shroud. And I'm like, oh, well, that's that's interesting. What does it do? And you're like, well, it doesn't really do anything. But when I cast an enchantment, I get to draw a card. And I'm like, go on. And you're like, well, but then I cast a bunch of enchantments and I draw a bunch of cards. I'm like, okay. And you're like. Well, and then I guess I cast some more enchantments, and even more enchantments, and they they Voltron together, and then I win the game. I'm like, <laughs> so, uh, so what, is, what is your approach, like using Squee or something, or some kind of like um, engine to keep the solitary confinement online? It's either Squee, Life from the Loam, or uh, Oath of Scholars. Uh, okay, for Life from the Loam, you still have to draw, though, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, you have a cycling land, presumably. Okay, and then Oath of Scholars. I never heard of that. What does that do? Uh, it's three and a blue. It's an enchantment. Um, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, if they have fewer cards, then I think it's an opponent. It might be all opponents. Um, you can basically uh, discard your hand and draw three. So then, what do you do to win in this type of deck? Um, my 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 original plan, which was uh, pretty bad was, uh, well, and it, it's actually especially bad after L.A. because there were so many graveyard decks, but I was thinking about this in the days before L.A., was you cast Intuition for uh, <coughs> for Pandemonium, Sapperling Burst, and Gigapede, or if you have a Solitary Confinement, then Sterling Grove. Um, and then if you don't have Solitary Confinement, you discard your Pandemonium, your Sapperling Burst, whichever one they gave you, to return your Gigapede, you replenish your enchantments back into play, and you 21 them. <laughs> That's kind of... I mean, you say it's bad, but it sounds kind of awesome to me. <laughs> I mean, like, like it, it does sound kind of awesome, but then you realize that you're playing, like, a bunch of cards that don't do anything, and, like, they can needle it, they can stifle it, they can glue blast it. Like, th- th- they still have a lot of ways to interact with you. So yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's a little fragile, and it only does 21 points of damage, so you can't actually play Swords to Plowshares. So, you know, I'm, I'm still working on figuring out how to build a control deck that has solitary confinement, but it's definitely on my list of things to work on. That's kind of awesome. I like that. <coughs> you heard it here first on Crazy Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, you want to ask the next question we have? or? Sure. Uh, so... About uh, what decks do you think are currently under the radar and might eventually break out? I, I think, think that's... Did we ask, sort of ask that one? I mean, I mean, I think that Storm is fairly underrated, and I think that Alex Bertoncini can't be the anomaly in winning with Merfolk. So, <laughs> but, like, the, the, the kid is actually unstoppable with those cards. Like, he, he consistently, like, exos and then either makes top eight or runs real bad... Like, gets pared down at X1 in the last round, just gets served the worst beats, and finishes, like, 
ninth or tenth or eleventh. But like he's just always there. And it's not like he's the only person with two buys. It's like he just always wins. Yeah, I see his list all the time, every single time. He changes like <laughs> three cards and then he just smashes people. It's the one that doesn't have standstill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one Mishra's factory, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I cannot actually count the number of people that he's gotten with Activate Mutavolt, Block Your 2-2, Pump. <laughs> Pump it with Mistress Factory. Wait, what? It's an assembly <laughs> worker. And, <laughs> and a parrot. <laughs> and a mutant ninja turtle. Actually, this past weekend I saw an interaction of Precursor Golem and Mutavolt, which was kind of funny. Guy, uh, guy blocked two, activated his two of his mutavolts and blocked two precursor golems, and then played this figure on the precursor golems, trying to oh, kill him off, right? But, uh, his mutavolts were also golems. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so good. Ridiculous. He almost made it, eh? <laughs> like, like uh, of course, the, uh, before damage disfigure. Yeah, well, and to kill off the golems, too. But right, that doesn't work. Obviously, no, 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 no. Right. It makes the one ones, and presumably his mutabolts then eat the golems, which would have worked had he just not activated them first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if he disfigured them, and then after and then disfigured activated. resolve... Yeah. It, his sequencing was a little off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right we, were we were debating... I forget, two episodes ago, John and Alex, whether Standstill should or should not be in Merfolk. Why are you trolling us, KYT? <laughs> Why are you doing yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, they no, said no, they would fight tonight. I want to ask the expert to settle this once and for all. Would you play Standstill? <laughs> Probably I think, not. I think uh, that the problem is Standstill is good in your good matchups and dead in your even-to-bad matchups, right? Like, think about the decks where Standstill is good. They're the ones that aren't ahead of you on board on, like, turns two or three or four, the ones where you're actually playing Standstill. And, like, think about what decks those are. They're not the ones that are playing Wild Makoddle. Like, you actually have to fight those. And they're not the ones that are playing Putrid Imp on turn one. So, like, what are they? They're the blue decks, right? And you're already supposed to beat blue decks, right? Like, that that's why you're playing Merfolk, presumably. So... I, I feel like it's very much a, a win more card. Well, it's, what about, it's not like, really played in any decks right now. Like besides, like <laughs> we went through this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let Alex reply. <laughs> well, what about the storm matchup, for instance? Like I've heard from various people who think this that various either side is favored. I think um, I, I think it's good in that matchup. Stone Cold fifty fifty, and like. Th think about it this way. Right, they, they have to, they're presumably casting Ad Nauseam. Because, like, if they're casting Elgotten Gains and you don't have a Force Will in your graveyard, you're probably just dead anyway. So, like, they, they're storming into Ad Nauseam. You're racing them to try and make their Ad Nauseam as bad as, it's, as it possibly can. And you have a bunch of Force Spike effects. You know, you have your Curse Catchers and your Daces. Would you rather your standstill be a, a three-drop 2-2 two -two Merfolk, or, uh, like a Merfolk Sovereign, or a standstill? 
keep in mind you have Silvergill Adept, Lord of Atlantis, and Coral Helm Commander to play on turn two. So it's not like you're not going to use your mana on turn two. You're, you're pretty much always going to go land go, two drop, three drop. The question is, and, and my question for you is, where are you playing your standstill? Is it a, like going two drop on turn four standstill? Or would you rather just go, like, wasteland them, activate Mutavault, get in there, and put them on, like, three, and have, like, a daze in hand and a curse catcher on board? Or try and, or, or like, cast standstill, have them break it, but, like, also be able to add nauseum from, like, eight life, and they need to hit, like, three spells that cost zero or one. It seems like if you're playing standstill, you're you're trying to play too much control, and it's actually not helping you. You know. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that to like to an extent, but I think we've already talked about this enough on previous casts. <laughs> Ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, KYT. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um. So our next question, uh, actually it's something I want, I've asked people before, which is, do people, I've asked Jerry this, do people actually innovate? Is there a lot of people that innovate at SCG Opens, or are there just people that, I feel when the top eight people get interviewed, a lot of them are like, yeah, I just picked this deck up because it was the only one my friends could lend me. You know, I just pick up goblins, it's the easiest deck. So the people, are there a lot of innovation that is going on? Um, let, let, let me answer that question for you. I'm, I'm typing in Star City Games right now, and I'm going <laughs> through the top eight list, and I want to look at Alex Bertoncini's sideboard, because he plays, like, 71 of the same 75 all the time, right? Right, like, right. Like, pretty much the same thing. I mean, he he played two Energy Flux, two Omazawa's Jit, cut a Luan, and I think played an additional Spell Pierce in his sideboard. Like, he, he very clearly had an idea of what he wanted to do. He wanted to, you know, beat Signal Pest. He wanted to beat Mother of Runes. He wanted to beat, you know, ver- various other things. And then he wanted to also beat Storm because he lost to that in his uh, top eight match in Dallas. So, you know, all of these are very understandable adjustments. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so much that you can do when your list is starting for Ether Vile, for Column Commander, for Chris Catcher, for Lord, for Mara Regery, for Silver Gill, for Days, for Force of Will, and so on. You have, right. like, five spots left. Um, so I think that... In as much as you want to call that innovation, that's innovation. You know, Jerry plays, you know, uh, an interesting deck pretty much every week. He played (laughs) High Tide in Memphis. He played um, Team America with no Tombstalkers, no Stifles. And I I, I think, like, Jace's main and Terror of Wars uh, in Dallas. And I don't even know what he played in L.A. Um, But, like... People definitely mix it up. Uh, they definitely know what they want to beat, and they definitely uh, play things that they think are going to help them get there. Um, <coughs> I don't think that it's all 
people grinding super duper stock versions of things. You know, I, we're, we're no different from you guys. We'd love to have like our sweet sideboard cards. Like I, Dan Signorini, like a, a good friend and teammate of mine, uh, played two consuming vapors in his sideboard in DC, in his Team America sideboard. Like that, that is digging deep. Let me tell you. Like, <laughs> you, you want to be Knight of the Reliquary? Like, yeah. Let, let, let's have the one of Dark Blast to kill their Noble Hierarch, dredge it back, kill their Dryad Arbor, tap the other four lands that you have, and Consuming Vapors or Tarmogoyf with the rebound to get their 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 Knight of the Reliquary. Like, that's innovation. People might not be, like, breaking the format wide open every week, but, you know, I, I think that you, you don't always have the ability to do that, and you don't always want to work that hard, and you got to save it for the Invitational and GP Providence anyway. Hmm. Yeah, I guess some of the guys are saving some gas for like the really big, uh, bigger <laughs> events that they're that they're that they're coming up. Yeah, I mean, Providence is going to be enormous. It's a legacy GP on the East Coast where it's where the format is always wildly popular, um, and you know, the format has been seeing constant support from Star City Games. It's very well defined. And, you know, there, there's a lot of play to it. Um, I, I think that there will be a lot of cool things to come out there. And then the very next weekend, you know, a bunch of people are heading to Indianapolis to play seven rounds of Standard and seven rounds of Legacy and cut to a Legacy Top 8 in, you know, a sweet split format tournament which you don't ever see except for Worlds. I mean, this is literally the only other split-format constructed tournament um, other than Worlds, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, it's going to be sick. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really looking forward to that. So, uh, Frank, did you want to talk about Conley's uh, Brown Recluse deck with Drew, or did you, did we want to move on to the <coughs> to hot Twitter topic of the evening? <laughs> Well, uh, I, like may maybe if uh, if Drew has some uh, something to comment about the deck, I assume we're talking about Conley Woods' uh, mono artifact infect deck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know what to make of that. Like I stared <laughs> at it and I was like, Arcbound Ravager, Plague Mirror, Throne of Gath. I mean, like, yeah, those are, that, that's definitely a bunch of cards. Um, I, I can see that they do something like. I, I don't know, like, I, I haven't played it. I assume that, you know, that it probably has a fair number of explosive starts. I think that there are probably a fair number of draws that, you know, since it doesn't play Brainstorm, it doesn't play Ponder, it doesn't play, I don't think it plays Sensei's Divining Top. Um, you know, it can't control its draws and might get some awkward starts, might get some slow starts, it might get some starts that, you know, don't draw another card that they need to draw when they need to draw it. Um, I can see it being fairly inconsistent like a lot of other mono artifact decks. Maybe you just need to add Crystal Ball. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you in L.A. Uh, last week or you didn't go? I, uh, I didn't go. I had strep throat. I picked it up somewhere in my uh, week in Alabama when I was staying with Adam Kai, Alex Bertoncini, and Jerry Thompson in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um... So I stayed home for the weekend, recovered, and am feeling 
much better, thank God. And we'll definitely be in Atlanta uh, come Saturday. Or do you do you always travel with the same guys? And I mean, I suppose there aren't that many guys traveling, right? Like, there's there 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 are a couple crews, so to speak. There's you know Nick Spagnolo and Louis Laskin and Harrison Greenberg, and until very recently Michael Pose guy. Um, and there's, you know, AJ Soccer and me and Alex Bernstein and Edgar Flores and Jerry Thompson. And, like, that's sort of the the people that you would list off if you think of, like, the people who go to all of these. And so, you know, we, if you don't want to go back home to wherever home is, New York or D.C. or Minneapolis, then... You know, you you find someone along the road to stay with, and you know if one person's staying there, then why not two? Why not three? And that's pretty much what happened with Adam. You know, I was going to solo it uh, with him back to Alabama, and then I talked with Alex, and I was like, hey, you know, like I'm doing this, and he's like, well, ask Adam, like see if it's okay. And I asked Adam, and he was like, yeah, it's that's chill. And then Jerry was like, well, I don't really want to go back to Minnesota. Maybe I'll. <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. And Adam was like, well, you can stay with me. And so we spent the weekend uh the Deep South. It was good times. So there's about, like, 12 guys that are kind of, like, grinding all of them? Is is that it? Uh, that's about right. I think there might be a little less than 12, but, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Awesome. I wish I could travel to all these events. <laughs> don't have that luxury. Your plane's in the shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine you being able to afford a plane ticket to somewhere, right? Like, you don't, tough, you don't yeah. make money off of this game or anything. No, no. I actually just uh, panhandle for my plane tickets. And, you know. You just you just stand at the uh, curbside checking and you're like, hey, so uh, you need some help with your bags? <laughs> actually, based on the comments from my new article, apparently I just steal. <laughs> Everything that I need, you know, because I'm a. Is that a I'm sort a... of light and shadow in your backpack? Here, let me handle that for you. <laughs> I'm like, nah, that's worth uh, five. I give five, five on the sort. Dollars. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this I uh, I found it in my garage. Oh, well, let me take it off your hands for free. Really, you should be paying me to do this. <laughs> no, but one thing you could learn from the A team, the A team, is maybe you can tap into your. Twitter followers to finance your activities, you know? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was going to go in a very different direction. Like, maybe you could, like, tap into your Twitter followers and, like, find a place to stay. <laughs> a much more logical direction to go, but no, 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 no. The Fly John Medina to Louisville collection. Let's start it now so that we can get there by the uh, Thursday that we want to go. Yeah, everybody send John Medina a basic island. He can trade it up for a plane ticket. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think people are less sympathetic when it comes to my causes, you know? <laughs> if I ever asked for money for anything, I think they would just laugh at me. <laughs> oh. I mean, maybe they'd be like, well, you know, we'll treat it as an investment. I want 5%. 
<laughs> or they might say, "Yeah, we can we can give you some money. We'll buy your cards at buy list prices." <laughs> You're like, "That's not what I wanted at all." Oh, that sounds like the backwards deal. <laughs> no, but I think if you really needed money, John, you just say like, "I think that uh, Bramblewood Paragon is going to be twenty bucks," and you just buy like you know a whole bunch. And then it's like, hey, look, it's it's like gone up to ten bucks or something. <laughs> yeah, then I'm like, hey guys, I got Bramblewood Paragons for five dollars. You know, I'm such, I'm such a saint. <laughs> wow. Uh, one last question before we go to the Twitter talk of the day, Drew. I'm just curious, what do you think about Burn, and is it viable in Legacy? I mean, um, I saw like a few Burn decks. So let, let me ask you two questions. One, um, is your yeah. name Patrick Sullivan? No. <laughs> uh, two, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not Patrick Sullivan. That's unfortunate. <laughs> um, well, in that case, I would not recommend playing Searing Blaze and Legacy for you. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that it's probably, like, in all seriousness, it's probably a reasonable deck. I think that that man is, just spends so much more time actually thinking about his cards, like, how seriously do you guys actually take the card Lava Spike? Not very seriously. Right, okay. So <laughs> Pretty seriously, like, like, three life. Sure, right, like, it, it domes them for three. The, and, like, that's about as far as you think of it. But, like, the difference between that and Riftable, right? Like, how much thought have you really put into, like, oh, well, like, when would I cast Lava Spike versus suspend Riftable? Like, not a whole lot of thought, right? Like, Spell Starter Sprite isn't in the format. Like, we don't really care about that. So, like, we, we don't really think about, like, oh, well, I want to play around this, but not this. And, like, like they're going to take three, right? Like, dome them, come on. Like, we don't really <laughs> take it that seriously, whereas he actually thinks about everything, plays around things as correctly as, you know, any blue control player does and gets rewarded for it because he is a very smart magic player who plays intelligently with cards that people very generally don't play intelligently with. People don't think of, like, the red mage as being, like, the real smart guy in the room. They think of the guy casting Mana Leak as being the smart guy in the room. Right. And Patrick Sullivan is absolutely one of the smartest people in the room, whatever room he's in. And he's the one casting Riftbolt, which means <laughs> in, that in his hands they're very dangerous. And the guy who's casting it, uh, yes. the guy who's casting Mana Leak at a Legacy tournament is definitely not the smartest guy. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Shaheen Sarani nope. has cast Mana Leak in Legacy, so uh, I, I I don't know what you want. But, <laughs> but like you're you're talking about this and like I was kind of like watching uh, a little bit of the coverage last weekend and uh Adam Prozac was playing Burn with Brainstorm and like there was like there was one game like there was it was such a slight misplay and like it ended up costing him the game you know so, <laughs> so when you're Did saying that like Sullivan like, is like a master that? at it you know like that that Sometimes it's just that tight, you know, when, when you... <laughs> I mean, it's definitely that tight when all of your cards translate that directly into winning the game. I mean, the difference between Rift Bolt and Squadron Hawk is that, like, Squadron Hawk is subtle. Like, you can cast that and, like, you can forget to attack one turn. You can, like, 
equip it to, you know, a squadron hawk and attack and realize that you should have held it back to block. You can forget to re-equip after combat. And, like, those are all slight things. But you're like, oh, that's like a, that's like a judgment call. But, like, that can be, like, as meaningful as just, like, Stone Cold not using one of your mana. Or, like, the difference between suspending Rift Bolt and, like, casting Lava Spike when one is correct and the other isn't, but you do the wrong one. Like, it's just more obvious when the red player does it, because, like, their entire deck does damage to their opponent, and when you don't do enough, and theoretically you ought to have, then, you know, it becomes clear that, you know, you done screwed up somewhere. <laughs> Whereas, like, attacking with Squadron Hawks, it's like, oh, well, they're at 17, and now I guess, like, they're somewhere around 11, and, like, yeah, they, they're at 7, and I guess they could be at 6, and, like, they end the game on 1, and you're like, oh, well, that was that was a close game. Like, good games. And you're like, and, and you don't, like, think as clearly about, oh, well, you know, I missed a squadron hawk attack. Yeah, on turn 7, this guy didn't swing with a squadron hawk, you know, because nobody keeps track of that. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. Is like, when the burn player just misses a burn spell, it's just right. glaringly obvious. You're like, dude, you should have just burned him before. Like, or but like when barbarian rings when and like they end the game with like a lava spike in their hand and their opponent's at one. Yeah. Like everyone is going to be like, oh well, he should have cast that lava spike, and you're like, oh well, you definitely could have like figured that one out three turns in advance, couldn't you, Sherlock? <laughs> Drew, Drew, do you recommend like the newer players play decks like that where it's more obvious what your misplays were? Rather than decks where it's harder to notice your misplays, I would so recommend improve. I would recommend any deck that you feel you're comfortable with, so long as you understand what your cards do and you're willing to approach the game from a mindset of understanding, uh, of seeking understanding about what you're missing every single turn in every single game. Because beyond that, it doesn't really matter what you're playing as long as you're seeking to gain proficiency with it. <laughs> Sick. So yeah, no, that was a good question. Yeah, definitely. That was a great question. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Yes. <laughs> we got so, in. Speaking of crazy talk, uh, Aaron, Aaron posted something on Twitter. Aaron Forsyth, right? Forsyth. Yeah, this was just a, a lead-off here. I was going to get to Aaron Forsyth. So, Aaron Forsyth, see how I put it in the notes there? By Aaron Forsyth? Okay. <laughs> yes. So, so this is what Aaron posted on Twitter. Uh, let me read it aloud to the class. Okay. He says, in all caps, complete fantasy. Okay. If we were, if we made snow duels and original duels Wait, lost... they're making snow duels? Because <laughs> Yeah, Innistrad. So sell your duels now. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> sell them to John Medina. Sell them to me. <laughs> and since he says that the original duels are going to lose 85% of their value, I would happily pay you 25% of their value. <laughs> And save you that. 10%. What a saint! What, know, a saint. what a saint! And that's just a you're, you're going to get comments on your next article, John. Yeah, you're actually just going to get death threats. They're going to ask you like where you live. Like, yep. I think I'm going to change your address. <laughs> or he's, he's carefully camouflaged between a whole bunch of other trailers. 
<laughs> I think I'm going to change my Twitter name to MTG Dirtbag. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, John, I'm sort of disappointed that we're going to be wrong on From the Vault's Dual Lands. <laughs> that was our prediction. <laughs> Did you hear people talking about that? That was funny. Uh, so anyway, beautiful let me landscape this. from Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited with our return to From the Vault Dual Lands, <laughs> a giant giveaway to retail stores. <laughs> Coming yeah, soon the... to a corner store near you where you can look forward to paying $500. <laughs> yeah. Suggested retail price, twenty nine ninety five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. So let me finish reading this tweet, you bunch of degenerates. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Complete fantasy. If we made snow duels and the original duels lost 85% of their value, would those of you that own original duels be happy? Question mark. So this spawned a big topic of conversation on Twitter, uh, ranging from, yeah, go ahead and print snow duels, to, uh, you know, talks about legacy dying and uh, the dual market crashing and all this stuff. And Drew has a lot to say on that. So I just want to open up the table here for comments on this tweet. So, first of all, first of all, Drew, do you own 40 duels, Lance? <laughs> uh, like me and John. 40. Not quite 40. I don't own Badlands. Ooh, that's bad. They're just too bad, eh? <laughs> They're really bad. Right, Frank took a picture of him, him with all his like newly purchased duels. So if this were to come true, I just wonder what Frank would do. <laughs> Poor Frank. I I would blame uh, Jonathan Medina. <laughs> but John, John, you only have forty duels. I thought you had like eight hundred or something. I don't even. To be honest, I don't even know how many duels I have left right now. People are buying them off me like hotcakes. <laughs> but like, don't, didn't you just like stick them all together and make a house out of it, and like no, live I... inside a house of duels? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm gonna get rid of my bedroom window now, trade it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I got like I don't know, I got maybe like 20 in the mail the other day, and I took a little picture on Twitter, and everybody was like, oh, I'll take that, you know, <laughs> Tundra, I'll take that tropical island. I'm just like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> I wonder what Frank thinks, because I know John and, and Drew have strong opinions, but like before we, we hear the, you know, the craziness, Frank, what do you, what do you think? What would, how would this affect you? Like, the thing is, like, me when I bought them, I, I made my peace with it, you know, like I said, like, if they go up, down, whatever, like, I, I'm just gonna have them, and, like, I'm gonna play <laughs> Legacy, so I'm not gonna care. <laughs> That's a good Sweet. attitude to have. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that. I think that that's very common for players. Like, w- would someone who bought Jason Mind Sculptor at twenty dollars, right? Uh, did, did Star City Games pre-sell them for twenty or twenty-five? I forget. Some people say twenty-five. I think okay. twenty-five is the right. Let's say that people bought, you know, their play set at twenty-five. And they're like, yeah, Blue plays in Swalker. Let's do it. And like now they're at a hundred. Let's say that. Jace, you know, gets banned or something. I mean, like, this is very clearly, obviously, hypothetical. But, like, gets rotated out of standard before October. And so they don't trade them away, and they go down to uh, 60. Because, like, I don't think they're actually going to go below that. Because they're insane and extended and legacy. So, you know, it, it, it's still a good card. 
um, and still Blue Planeswalker, it's still Mavic. Um, you know, should those people be more, less, or exactly as upset as the people who bought them two weeks ago at a Star City Games Open for 110? Is that a rhetorical question? No, no, yeah, no, no, like, that's actually a question. Like, do you think that they should feel differently? I don't think anyone should ever get pissed off about a price of any card, ever. <laughs> that's my, that's like, whether, whatever you bought it at, whatever you're selling it at, whatever, whatever, like, you, we're, we're all here to play a game, okay? This is a hobby. This is not food, shelter, and water, okay? So like, if you can't afford cards, or you don't want to trade for them, or you don't want to, whatever the reason, you don't have the cards you want. Oh okay. no! You don't want to dirt bag people out. Of <laughs> <laughs> we knew that one was coming, right? <laughs> that, that was a good one. But whatever you, you know, whatever the case may be, this is a hobby. You know, this is not this is not stuff that people need. So like. I don't, I don't think that you should get pissed about the price of any hobby. I mean, my buddy, he rides bikes as a hobby. He's, he's a cyclist, okay? So, like, his bike, his bike cost him $5,000. And then, like, to change the pedals, it's like $900. And, like, his freaking bike shorts are like 300 bucks. So, like, all of, it, that's a hobby for him. Like, I don't hear him complaining, man, my bike was $5,000. It's like, dude, like, you chose this hobby. Where your bike costs five thousand dollars, and we chose this hobby where our Jason Mind sculptors might cost one hundred and ten dollars. Like, there's not there's nothing to cry about here. Sure, um, and I think that the issue for a lot of people to sort of set the stage for where this conversation took place is that they they have this reserve list, and the reserve list is basically a promise that that their, their legal department, you know, Wizards of the Coast's legal department has interpreted it as, you know, it's a legal promise that's close enough to an actual legal promise that if we break it, we're probably going to get sued for breaking it. That basically says, we promise not to reprint this list of cards. It's a long list of cards. And most of them are really bad. Like, <laughs> most of them are just absolutely terrible. Um, like, Velt is a card from, I think, Ice Age, and it's just actually worse than uh, Tranquil Garden, the uncommon land from Champions of Kamigawa. The one that you tap for green or white and it doesn't untap. That one. Okay, yep. Um, so, like, that card clearly sucks. And, you know, they... So, so they, they can't make an identical version of Velt, where, you know, you tap it and you put a depletion counter on it and it doesn't untap, and then you remove the depletion counter and next up, untap step, you untap it. Okay, that's cool, whatever. But, like, the ones that actually matter are power and dual lands. Like, the, the, for, for all intents and purposes, those are the ones that we care about as magic players. In Lion's Eye Diamond. <laughs> is it on the... Right? Yeah. Is, Lion's Eye Diamond no, is on the No, is definitely not on the reserve list, because there's been a ton of discussion about uh, that being the potential next uh, Judge Foil. They can definitely reprint Force of Will. Yeah, and they should already in, like, M12. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. I, I think that's a discussion for later. But, like, the, the, the point is, like, that as, as Aaron was saying, people buy these cards with, you know, the, this sort of gold standard wizard's back guarantee of 
we will not reprint it. And this promise to not reprint it means that it will stay exactly as rare as it is right now. And if anything, it will get rarer. And so that's that's cool, but that's ultimately meaningless until you take into account the financial implications of its rarity, which presumably... Like, like the, what what we assign that promise is we promise that the price of your duels will never go down, right? Because that that's what people want to hear. They want to hear this is something that you can actually invest in. You you can buy stock in Tundra, you know, like you can buy stock in GE. No, like you can buy stock stock in Beta English Underground C, and your stock will go up because we will not make more stocks of Beta Underground C. So, you know, buy Beta Underground C with confidence. Um, the thing is, uh, Beta Underground C is being bought by Star City Games right now for $700, I think it is. Um, something absurd like that. And so the issue is, what happens if, hypothetically, complete fantasy land... Um, <laughs> Legacy as a format declines or falls out of favor with Star City Games, was with, with, with Wizards of the Coast, or with Magic players generally. What if instead of the, you know, 10,000 people that play Legacy right now, um, it goes back to the, you know, 2,000 worldwide Legacy players that there were in 2006, back when Unlimited Underground Sea was $30, and Savannah was $20, and Lion's Eye Diamond was $20, and Dark Confidant was $7. Like, what what happens then? Are they still pissed? Or are they like, oh yeah, bad beats, I guess we, uh, I guess, I guess the format tanked, and so our cards went down. No, they'd be pissed. Like, they <laughs> That's the Drew Levin approach. <laughs> like, I mean, like, it, it is very clear that there are things that can happen that would cause legacy to fall out of favor with a number of very important entities that are currently supporting legacy and keeping it alive as a format that would cause legacy as a format to, you know, whatever you want to call it, die, I suppose. Um, and so how, how important is it to the collectors to make money versus have these cards. Because most of the people who are going to hear these words are players. You know, you you, you people who are hearing these world, words, if you ever own Tundra, maybe you do, maybe you own four of them, maybe they're alpha, I don't know. Um, you, you probably, you know, in all likelihood, want to play them. You want to tap them for white mana and swords to plowshares, your opponent's Stormwave. That's that's what you want your tundras to do. You don't want them to sit there in your bank vault and accumulate value like you know interest on an investment. And so, I think I think from a collector's aspect, they don't like it's not really about the value as much as it's about the rarity, like like. I've sold to a lot of collectors and stuff, and they're very picky about exactly which set and which, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 
if it's whiteboard, it doesn't matter as long as it's this certain set or if it's this or that. You know, so I think, like, even if they reprinted, like, Dual Lands, just, like, reprinted the regular duels, I think collectors would still want beta underground seas. You know what I mean? And it would still... It would still command the the collector premium, like, so, I mean, I think that this whole thing is is just a very, it's a very strange, it's a very strange argument, or like, uh, there's a lot of fuss over this very strange thing because I think that people who have these dual lands, you can't put your faith in anything in life. You can't just it's just the way it is. You know, like I have a house that I live in. I can't have faith that when I come back from work tomorrow, some like wire wasn't like grounded correctly and my house doesn't burn down. I can't have faith in that because I don't know. <laughs> you know, it might happen. So like, it's like when you put it, when you put this to bigger things in life, I've been in like at least 13 car accidents. Oh, you know, and geez, you run real bad. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, yeah, I can't have faith that I'm not going to get in another car accident. I can't put all my stock in life and be crushed if like my car gets, you know, hit by another car. Like that just is going to happen. So like, it's funny that we can just accept these risks and these things in regular life and be okay with it. But when it comes to our dual lands, everyone's freaking out and they're just like, don't change a thing. And it's like, dude, look, life has changed. This is going to happen. Different things. Your value of your dual lands are going to go down. Even like, even uh, a couple of years back, dual lands were going down in value. And so, I mean, they're not going down anymore. But I mean, at some point, they were going down. There was a trend down of dual lands. So it's like, you know, it's ups and downs. And like, I think that we shouldn't hold so tightly to these dual lands. I mean, if they want to reprint them, I think they should just reprint them. Like, whatever. Me, me, I think, like, ultimately, the value of the duels, like, is basically based on the success of Legacy, you know? And so if if Legacy's doing well, then your duels are going to be worth something. And I think, like, even if they would reprint them, like, in the long term, it would be good for Legacy, and it would be good for your duels, you know? I, I think that even if it's not good for your duels, the the thing is... Um, who cares like, if it's good for you? Well, 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 it's not even who cares. <laughs> you're, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, or, or damned yeah. if they do and damned if they don't, because if they don't provide more, either strictly better or strictly equal versions of dual lands, uh, then the increased in the increased interest in legacy is actually going to cause it to tank, um, because the staples will get high enough that people will, um, tournament attendance will become volatile. It'll, you know, fall off. People will be like, oh, well, you know, I can't afford it. I'm going to stop playing. Um, but, and but how do you, now this is, this is the point that I just want to, I guess this is the point of contention for me is how do you back that up? Like how high does a tournament staple have to get? I, I mean, mean you were there is, vintage like three years ago, right? Yeah, but vintage was different. How? Because, yeah, sure. Because did Star City Games have a day two with vintage every weekend? They ran Power Nine tournaments like five years ago that actually drew like a good amount of people. There were Waterbury tournaments in Connecticut that drew like hundreds of people. Vintage tournaments nowadays are like thirty or forty people. It is a fairly dead format. 
you had someone, Stephen Menendian, wrote a weekly column on Star City Games about vintage, and people knew nothing about the format and were entranced by it. It was good writing, it was interesting, it was different, and people loved it. Yeah, it, but the, the tournament support wasn't there. I mean, there was these tournaments, okay, but the, it wasn't the same as the tournament support that we're getting for Legacy right now. But how? who says that dual lands aren't going to go up to mana drain levels? I mean, the, how much did mana drain cost in its prime? Well, you, you are saying that they are, and I am saying, show me how. How does okay, this so, happen? So and we, we, more so, more so is not show me how, because I can see dual lands going up, but show me how that affects whether a player plays or not. And, and my, my rebuttal will easily be that, okay, Cobblade is the most popular deck in standard. The standard tournaments are as the highest as they've ever been. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and Jace is $100. Gideon mm-hmm. is 35 uh, Stoneforge Mystics are 25 you know, like all of these cards. Yeah, so all of these cards are expensive, and so why is why are people coming to standard in droves, and how is that going to be different for Legacy if the prices keep going up? Okay, Team America Stifle costs how much? Uh, Twelve to fifteen. Charmander. <laughs> uh, sixty-five to seventy. Underground scene. hundred to hundred twenty. Polluted Delta. 25 to 30. Tropical Island? Eh, 80 to 100. Tombstalker? 10. Okay. That's a little bit more expensive than Cobblade. Yeah, but... Now, okay, let's take Cobblade. By the way, John, you really need to go on the prices right at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Actually, I just did that because I knew you could do it. <laughs> Actually, Stifles are up to 18 on uh, SCG. Uh, okay. It's so, pretty filthy. I should have traded John for all of his stifles. <laughs> so, so okay. So, yeah, that's more expensive than Cobblade, but when you take Cobblade, okay, mm-hmm. because you can play Team America now, right? Can you play Team America next year? Yes. Can you play the year after? Probably. Okay, so if you take two years of standard decks, right? Right. And you put them together, because Cobblade wasn't the popular deck uh, six months ago, right? Correct. So, so what I'm saying is, the amount invested in standard versus the amount invested in legacy for one legacy deck, I bet you people spend more in standard decks to keep up with the standard format than they do in legacy. I agree. I mean, you're you're making the point that I make to countless people at uh, Saturday Standard Opens across the country. Okay, so with that point, let's let's take it back home. Okay, people are invest. This money is real. People yeah. are really investing as much money as like right now. Legacy prices are at are at an all time high. Okay, mm-hmm. so people are investing that same amount of money in standard. Okay, and the in the tournament the tournament stuff is still going up. The tournament attendance. So like, how can you say? That, pe- that money's not there for people to invest that in Legacy and the format's going to die. there is an actually finite supply of Tantras. There is a theoretically infinite supply of Chase Rare Blue Planeswalker that costs four or five that's going to get printed in Innistrad that we don't even know what the name of is yet. We don't know its abilities, and we don't even know its casting cost. But we know it's going to be a Chase Rare. We know it's going to be a Mythic. 
you know, it's going to be like 40 or 50 or $60, but like they're printing it right now. And, <laughs> and you, you can buy it. You can buy a booster pack that might just have it in it. You, you can play the box do, lottery in. <laughs> right. You, you can play, I mean, like people buying World Wake boxes still happens around where I live. They call it playing the Jace lottery. Like, yep. I, I'm sure this happens everywhere. Um, you can't actually play the Tundra Lottery. You actually just have to pony up 80 for that thing. And, and so... Yeah, which is fine. Right, it's fine, but it means that there's actually one less Tundra of the, you know, 100,000 or however many there are out there. I mean, like, I don't even know if it's 100,000. Maybe it's 10,000, maybe it's like three. I, I legitimately don't know the so, numbering on print runs. So, so let's, let's take this, let's take this a step further then. Okay, so... All, all you're speaking to right now is card availability. And, and I mean, we can go a hundred ways with, ways with that. Some places, it's impossible to get a Jace. If I bring a Jace into certain stores, I can easily get 150 and trade for it. Because some places, for some reason, in their meta or whatever, people just don't have Jaces, they don't use the internet, whatever. Okay, but they... They never they, heard of Worldwake? They went straight from uh, Zendikar to Rise of Ultrasi? No, I mean... <laughs> What I'm saying is, like, the people who have Jaces in the store are not trading them. So, and there's no Jaces in the case, and these people are not, like, this has happened to me before where I've gone into a store, and they just don't, they don't have Jaces, there's no one around, and I've traded Jaces for absorbent amounts of money. I mean, I know, I know that's hard for you guys to believe, but. No, 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 I, I, I believe it. I can see it happening. I can, like, see the, like, desire in the little eight-year-old's eyes as they're like, I want to draw three cards. <laughs> so, so let's keep going. Let's go a step further. I don't want to go with the. That's a prime target for Medina. You know those little kids. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the beats today, dude. Man, oh, man. I have to take it back because. You actually said that like that was kind of like against your principles in in this week's article. Oh, thanks for reading, by the way, Frank. <laughs> I I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, right? <laughs> Got to get so, to that. So let's uh, let's keep going with this with this whole analogy. Okay, so let's say that okay, tundras are less available than standard cards. Okay, okay. so how does this translate to pe- to the format dying? Like, wh- I, what I don't get is how does m- cards are expensive equal format dies? Like, uh, it's not cards are expensive. It's People do not see how they could get those cards. People see how they can get Misty Rainforest. They go to their store, and it's either in the case, or they still sell boxes of Zendikar. You know, they very recently stopped actually printing the physical cards, so there are as many Misty Rainforests in the world right now as there will ever be. Um, But it's still like a $10 card. And you can, you know, find it in your friend's binder, or you can borrow them from your friend. Like, they're they're rare, but they're not like rare, rare, right? Yeah. Okay. So tundra, you know, th- there might be like the old guy in the corner with like his cardboard box, and like he might have a bunch of sweet duels, and like maybe maybe like the value trader um, who reads your articles is like, yeah, like gonna trade that guy a bunch of emeralds. He's gonna give me a bunch of tundras. It's gonna be sick. Um, or like maybe the old guy is like, yeah, I got these tundras, like. I love it, like my children. Um, and, like, I'm never going to trade them. You know, I, I have my full set of Unlimited, and so I have this one Tundra, and I'm going to keep it forever. Um, but, like, 
regardless, there isn't that same ubiquity. Um, there, there isn't a feeling of wealth about that. Um, and, and you can take that all the way down to, you know, there aren't that many goblin ringleaders in local stores. There, there's plenty of condemns. There's plenty of go for the throats. You can get those cards. Getting Goblin Ringleader, getting Curse Catcher. You know how much Curse Catcher is right now? Tell them, Medina. Tell, tell them how much Curse Catcher is. Uh, oh, man, that makes me sick. Uh, three dollars $3.50? $4? I don't know. $4. It is a $4 card. Burton Cheney tells me this every time I stare at his deck. He's like, you know how much this card is? It's $4 <laughs> regular. This copy, this is 9 because it's foil. I was like, I know, Burton Cheney. You told me this like four times. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's insane. It's an uncommon from Shadowmore. The reason why it's so expensive is because you can't actually find it in local stores. You can find Go for the Throat, you can find Condemn, you can find Tumble Magnet, and you can even find Dark Slick stores. Okay. But you can't find Tundra. So what does that say to the local store owner? Don't run legacy events. Fucking get curse catchers. Like <laughs> <laughs> No, that's work. They don't want to do work. They can just Dude. run another sealed event. They can just run another standard FNM. Let me explain, like, as a as someone who's always looking for opportunity to gain value, like, once this second wave of Legacy hit, I said, okay, I'm going to do exactly what I did with the first leg. Okay, I went and traded for, I have a box here, like a big giant box full of all these things, Goblin Ringleaders, Kurtz Catchers, um, you know, Silver Gill Adepts, uh, basically everything tribal, because... All the people who break into Legacy first, they want a cheaper deck. They want something more simple. They always want the tribal deck. They either want Merfolk or Goblins or Affinity. So, like, I just stocked up on all of that stuff. And I think that there's enough smart people out there in stores alike. I mean, the kind of trades that I was making for these common uncommons was just ridiculous. Any store owner whose worth is weight, you know, should know that there's enough money to be made to support Legacy. Sure, there's definitely enough money out there to support Legacy. The question is whether or not they're going to see that as worth their time. Because if they don't, they're not smart. I mean, like, I hate to break it to you, Medina, but not everyone's as brilliant as you. <laughs> <laughs> like, was that sarcasm? Uh, it was a little bit of both. Little, little comedy, little comedy. We both win, Alex. We both win. <laughs> um, but, I mean, seriously, not everyone wants to work hard for, you know, the, the same dollar. They, 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 they see that they could run a standard tournament and charge people $5, or they could take a risk, uh, encourage their people to get into Legacy, and charge $5 for that. And there are, there are store owners who could, you know, spot a trend and say, oh, this Legacy thing, this is going to be awesome. Like, I want to get in on this. You know, this this seems like a pretty popular thing. Like, I'm going to stock my store with curse catchers. Or they could say, Oh, go for the threads two fifty on Star City games and uh Jerry T's playing blue white blue white black cobblade with a couple of go for the threads in his deck. Why don't I uh, just buy a bunch of those and sell them at like five dollars each in my local store case and the kids will buy them because they want to be just like Jerry T. Um easy money. I think I think what we're doing here I agree with what's going on here. Okay, me and you are talking about local support for legacy tournaments. Okay, and I think you, your attitude about legacy tournaments is if, if it doesn't get local support, then legacy is not going to live. Right. 
I, I, I tweeted as much earlier today, and I think that that is sort of the the fulcrum on which the future of the format rests. Okay, let me let me say that I agree with that. I think that every <laughs> format needs local support. What I don't agree with is that the the prices are going to get so high that people that legacy is going to die. People are going to stop playing because what's going to happen is once the price gets so high, whatever that is. Right. Okay, and people stop buying these cards. Mm-hmm. Guess what's going to happen? Star City okay, Games okay. is going to be go like, well, shit, we don't want to have all these cards on hand if people are not buying them, and they're going to lower the price. That happened with Jace two weeks ago. Okay, Jace was was in a frenzy. People wanted Jace's like nobody's business, and then two weeks ago, the Jaces started coming in. I was getting emails, Jonathan. I have Jaces. I need Legacy. You know, I'm sure Star City Games is getting a lot more emails than me. Oh, you give you give 75 on your Jaces plus 20% trade in value. Okay, I'll trade these Jaces in for dual lands. And so like, so the, then what happened was Star City Games said, okay, we're not going to be buying Jaces for 75 anymore. We're going to buy them at 60, and now we're going to drop the price on the website. And I think that's going to happen with with legacy cards. Is once, you know, everyone fails to see that hey, these prices are controlled by us. Okay, as long as somebody's going to pay $100 for a tropical island, it's going to be $100. Once people stop saying, okay, I'm going to pay, uh, okay, you got me. I'm not going to pay $100 on that tropical island anymore. I, I'm not going to pay any more than 70 and everyone else is not going to pay more than 70 Then the tropical island is going to go down to 70 And then, right. and then but the you thing know. Is, there's, there's, there needs to be a critical mass of people at game stores, you know, everywhere in the country. You know, from, you know, Crimson Castle Games in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to Victory Comics in Falls Church, Virginia. There needs to be, you know, cases with Mox Diamonds and Lion's Eye Diamonds and Explorations and, you know, Tropical Islands that people can buy. And the problem is, I don't actually think that there's just enough of them where to where you can have legacy tournaments in Alabama and Virginia and California and Montana and have them in Antwerp and Brussels and Paris and London. And Canada, come on, guys, give some red and Montreal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, thank you, Drew. <laughs> Which is not technically not Canada; it's Montreal. So, <laughs> so, so you're saying there's not enough duels to hold, to sustain. Uh, a, a truly local legacy movement, correct. I don't believe that that is true. But I think like, there is enough to support a large Star City Games run tournament series. I think that there is enough to provide solid attendance numbers for Wizards of the Coast run GPs. I mean, you saw that with Chicago, you saw that with Columbus. Both Midwestern legacy GPs saw what, like, thirteen to sixteen hundred attendance, somewhere around there. Um, you know, you saw in Madrid in droves, people came out, there were 22, 2300 people. Um, but the thing is, I, I'm less interested in that and I'm more interested in all of the stores around the world, the, the Rochester, New York's of the world that can run 20 person legacy tournaments every single week, get people to come and get, get people to play with tropical islands, not breeding pools. Well, here's the thing, and, and I mean, we could talk about, uh, you know, those kind of duels, those other ones, if we want. But, but the thing is, is that I think that I, 
I respect your opinion, but I don't think it's based on any data. First of all, we don't know how many people are going to play dual land decks. Okay, there may be merfolk players at these local legacy tournaments, affinity players, uh, players that don't require dual lands. Okay, and not because they're expensive, but just because, you know, Alex likes to play merfolk, you know? Like, I mean, so there are so non-dual lands. So what happens when Tomohara Saito plays Parish in his sideboard, and everyone realizes that they can't beat a Knight of the Reliquary, and they need to go out and buy their underground suits? It's, it's cyclical. The, the, sure, but, I mean, like... So so what happens is the people who would go and change to Parish because Tamahara Saito is running Parish are the same people who would sell those underground seas to get Tropical Islands so they can run Team America. Well, I mean, you obviously wouldn't do mm-hmm. that. But, like, Tropical Islands to run Natural Order Band. You know what I mean? Sure. It's it's like these people are using their cards as currency. I see it all the time because I trade with people. And so, like, what's, what's going to happen is these dual lands are just going to be shipped around the local scene because, you know... The people who want to be on top of the cutting edge technology are going to be shipping to get the new deck, and the people who just are happy to play with whatever they've been playing with for years are going to be sticking with that. You know sure. what I mean? So, like, I don't see. This is like, and this is just—it's strictly my opinion because I don't have data to back this up either. You know, I don't have data to say that based on the non-dual land decks and the dual land decks and the amount of people that would play in XYZ cities... How, how about this? I, I, I actually have a, an easier way of determining it. Uh, how many Jaces do you think there are in the world? I have no idea. More than the number of tropical islands? I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, think I, are, I, I would think that there are more Jaces in the world in all the languages combined than there are tropical islands. Yeah, but we don't know. I mean, this is a this is a problem here. If we had if we had numbers, then we could talk about this, you know. Sure. We should we should get Aaron Forsythe on the call. <laughs> okay. He, so what, next he week, make it happen. Deal. We're going to find some data. We'll come back and we'll argue this with actual numbers. Sounds because good. That's a really good idea. Because I think that once we actually have numbers, that it will be easier to figure out whether or not we actually need duels, or whether and and whether or not an English unlimited or revised um, Tropical Island is as rare, less rare, or more rare than an English non-foil Jace the Mindsculptor. Yeah, I mean, w- with those numbers, it's, it's easy, because then once we see, we can say, okay, um, you know, X cities in the U.S. can support X people uh, for X dual land decks. You know sure. what I mean? And, and, and then dual land decks make up 60% of the medicine. Of the medicine. Sure. Which is being real conservative, but I'll go with it. Sure, okay, so we'll work on that. That's a cool project. Okay. So jump in, guys. Frank, Alex, KYT, what do you have to say? I'm just shell-shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've read Drew's article, um, or uh, one of his early articles on SCG, where he talks about um, as that... Asking readers, would you rather look at the money you've invested in your standard collection, and then in three years, would you rather have four primeval titans or four taigas? And you know, I think if legacy were that exp- were to go to an extent where it's really expensive, I, I think I would have never jumped into it. And while I just while I agree with John, like both of you have great reasons for for why you believe how. 
for how, what it would, like what would happen. I think it would have scared me off from the format. So I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Frank a lot of people yeah, got man. scared off from standard when they saw the first standard chase rare spike a hundred, right? I mean, like, the most expensive card in Ravager era was Ravager, and it was, like, 15 or 20, right? Right. And, like, in the Cryptic Command era, it was Cryptic Command, and it was, like, 20 or 25, and then Bitter Blossom was, like, the first card to spike 30 or 35, and then Tarmogoyf was the first card to spike 50, and, you know, it just went from there. But, you know, Chase was the first three-figure standard card, and, you know, people have started freaking out on a pretty regular basis, uh, because and, and they've, they've they've blamed mythic rares mostly because they need to have something to put a name to this feeling of fear and angst that they have over you know the fact that magic card prices just keep going up because this game keeps getting popular and more people want to buy it and you know print runs don't go up. I yeah, I think John mentioned like. I've been playing through those times, and I think I was also intimidated by Jace's price, but yet I'm still playing, and still, like, I have a, I own a Cobblade deck, and so, when John was talking about, like, the Type 2 players that, like, they're still there, like, I'm one of them. Yeah. But I think it's because, maybe, like, I just, I still think I have, like, an upper limit as to how far, like, maybe if Jace's were 150, I'd still be okay. But I don't think I could afford legacy decks if they were over $3,000 or something. <laughs> like in in John's uh, article where he lists, like, the prices of all these decks. I think if they were doubled, if legacy were to that point, then there's just no way. <laughs> Right, I mean, um, like, everyone has an upper limit, at which point they probably just stop playing Magic. It, like, right. If you have to pay 5k things, for your standard deck, you're just not going to play Magic anymore. Well, they're going to stop uh, They're going to stop buying singles, and then the singles are going to go down. That's <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen. I mean, no, that's what happens. People yeah, I know. Just, they'll just start drafting, and then they'll the singles will go down, because every, all the retailers will be standing there with their beep in their hand, and, like, just like, what are we going to do with all these singles? Oh, maybe we should lower the price. <laughs> Makes sense. Like, I, I think, like, just for myself, you know, like, I recently bought, like, all of them, and, like, I... We, we know, Frank. All we know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just want to remind everyone, you know, because... Uh, link link to the picture I like to in the show notes. Hey, yeah. Frank, how many dual lands do you have? I have 40, man. Oh, 40. Wow. <laughs> really? Isn't that, like, how many there are if you count playsets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, so you have all of them? Yeah, I have all of them, man. Whoa. Anyway, I paid, uh, we already talked about it, I paid the 1800 for them. And uh, basically, the Star City sales price for, <laughs> is 3100 now. So, like, I can say just for myself that, like, if I wanted to get in today instead of, like, two months ago, like, I wouldn't be getting in, you know? <laughs> like I'd be scared off by just the would like, you the not hike be in, in or would you just be not buying forty dual lands? your traps in your underground season, you'd, you'd commit to playing Team America instead of being like, oh well, maybe I want to play Badlands. 
Maybe <laughs> that'll happen someday. <laughs> Actually, I want to play the Badlands. All four of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, actually, I want to play a deck with all 40 of my duels. <laughs> so he could just keep playing Duel Lands for the whole remainder of his of his game. <laughs> How has no one made a Battle of Wits legacy deck? It's like going to happen in Charlotte, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, really? I mean, I, I, I can't tell you guys much more than that, except that uh, I have a good list, Jerry has a good list, and... Um, did somebody it, lose a bet? <laughs> uh, the, no, no one has lost a bet. I I think that I think that Enlightened Tutor is a really strong card, and uh, I think it's going to be seeing more play in in the near future. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I can see that. Yeah. Well, I think as they keep on printing more and more cards, eventually, like all the tutors are going to become too strong for Legacy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, either that or, like, magic is going to die out. <laughs> How many... It's like, you know, it's always the same. Like, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a really weird reference here. But, like, um, when I used to study the Bible and stuff, there was always... There's always the, the whole notion that we are living in the end times, okay? Because in the Bible it talks about the end times and, like, the number of the beast and all this stuff. So it's like every every generation... It's always the end times. Like, people were saying that in the, in, you know, in the early 1900s, it's the end times. And it's always the same with magic, is people have been saying that, you know, certain formats are the going to die. Falling. The sky right. is falling. Like, it's the, and it's well, just. Well, certain formats have died, you know? Like, look at, <laughs> look at what happened with Extended. <laughs> was Extended ever alive? <laughs> I mean, like, it wasn't like how Dark Depths Doctor basically became the fun police, and, uh, it was like, oh, well, you're doing something cute? Make a 2020 and kill you. <laughs> oh, 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 you you were going to do something? Oh, well, make a bunch of one ones and kill you. Fucking <laughs> you, you know, You know, like, there was a time where Extended was alive, and at that time I bought 40 Shocklands, and now I look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> History is always feel? doomed to repeat itself, Frank. But how do you feel, Frank? About, oh, no. How do you feel now? Do you feel in general slighted that your 40 Shocklands totally are garbage? Well, Dude, not that much. EDH players. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing before the extended rotation. I bought like a $3,000 collection, which was mainly extended staples, like Dark Confidant and Tarmogoyf and Shocklands. And then uh, like a week later, the announcement came out. So... I was totally destroyed in that deal. <laughs> yeah, the but, day of the announcement, what? me and my, my friend went driving around town to stores that had not yet got, gotten the update and <laughs> selling all our Ravnica duels. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty underhanded. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, John. That seems perfectly ethical to me. <laughs> That's very unethical, you dirtbag. <laughs> I mean, like, if they buy list says $10, then, like, who are you to tell them that it's not extended legal soon? You know what? It's those same stores that are like, oh, I'm not going to buy Goblin Ringleader. I'm going to buy Go for the Throat. <laughs> well, there you go. Now you get a bunch of freaking Shocklands. <laughs> And, and, and you consider yourself like the harbinger of karma, is that it? I'm like the Robin Hood of magic, is what I am. <laughs> so you, so you call, you're calling yourself uh, a thief? 
And a saint. And a saint. <laughs> and a saint. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'm just going to say whatever because it's entertaining to people who listen to the podcast. They love are, you it. The, are you the Russell Crowe Robin Hood or uh, the no, Kevin Costner? No, dude, Kevin Costner, man. Russell Crowe sucked as Robin Hood. Come on. <laughs> I actually had a discussion with... Um, <laughs> Drew just tweeted that. Oh man! <laughs> With uh, Antoine, uh, no, it was Olivier Ru- uh, Ruel at uh, GP um, Washington, and I made the comment that uh, they had to ma- make the French the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> the French are always the bad guys. Yeah, and like, have you heard their accents? <laughs> <laughs> They're horrendous. Oh boy. Oh. I feel like I might be getting myself into yeah, a, a guys, little deep water with the uh, Montreal. Uh, <laughs> you guys here. should get your freedom fries, you know, while you can. <laughs> well, we don't have a Republican for president anymore. It's okay, you can come out. I'm told, isn't the Secretary of Defense anymore? It'll be all right. Oh, man. But, I mean... After all this doom and gloom talk, it is good that Legacy is, uh, right now, very healthy and booming, you know? Yeah, no, it's awesome. Like, I I mean, for, for all the talk about, like, dual-end considerations, I think that the format is healthier than it's ever been. Um, I think that they could probably unban a couple cards and, you know, make the format even more diverse. But, you know, as it stands, it's a very balanced metagame. Um, there are a lot of people that are interested in it now that weren't a year ago. And, you know, I'd love to sort of see where it keeps going. Yeah, I mean, look at the uh, Star City Games Top 8 this last weekend. It's just been, it was all combo, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, weird. Things are just, like, they just shift, like, just very easily. I mean, those Californians must just not want to play with 60-card decks. They clearly just want to play 52. <laughs> like, sit on their living room floor and deal seven piles and, like, make a bunch of, you know, piles with aces at the bottom and, you know, kings at the top, and there you go. Yeah, <laughs> we played a bunch of solitaire. High five, guys. So I guess, I guess someone, if someone is not a fan of combo. I mean, like... Am I right? I, Am I right? I, I think that combo <laughs> serves an important part of, you know, the legacy metagame, but, like, it's a little ridiculous to, like, look at it and be like, oh... Combo, 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 burn, combo, merfolk, combo, combo. But one <laughs> one thing I folk, one thing combo, I don't like. Combo, white weenie, bunch fun. Combo. Oh, that was a sweet top sixteen. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> one thing I don't like about the format as is is that like it seems like some colors are just cold to combo, you know, just by. I mean, yeah, like, definition, you know? You're, you're like, white if you mono green, like, you, you can't interact much with uh, an ad nauseum deck. I'm trying to think of how true that is. <laughs> yeah, because uh, green has answers, right? I feel like it probably oughta. Uh, like, you could play Root Maze. Yeah, and you can also play Gaddock T. He's green. Yeah, I mean, like, if you want to, like, green something that's for Gaddock Teague, I suppose that is... That is <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Those cards have such cool synergy. Well, you can, you, can also play, um, you can also play Choke. I mean, Choke is just a filthy card against every single blue control deck ever. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, like, you could also just, like, cast Glimpse of Nature on your second turn and proceed to kill him. Yeah, can't you also play a Heartwood Storyteller? Uh, yes. Presumably, though, you would need to draw into, like, a Mind Break Trap or something. Yeah, but that's blue. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, in all honesty, that card is probably the reddest blue card that's ever been printed. Yeah. Like, if if you look at the decks that have played it... It's a bunch of red yeah, decks. they're not like none of them are running blue, basically. Yeah, <laughs> blue decks just ran the real card, Force of Will. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I yeah I don't know green green ways to stop combo. Oh man, and like that's... red red is even worse. Well, you have red blast in red, which is nice. Yeah, but it doesn't stop like any of the. Like, the cards you need to stop, like, if well, you're playing against Storm. You also have Pyrostatic Pillar. I mean, like, you, you can just get comboed on turn one, but, like, every deck can. Yeah, like, a blue deck can, I mean. Yeah, I mean, like, you have, like, a Sweet Hand that has, like, the Thoughtseize and a Daze and, you know, Skull Pierce, and then you just get comboed turn one on the play. So, uh, Drew, actually, I just thought of a, a question to ask you. You generally play, like, blue decks, right? Like, decks with Force of Will? Yeah. Like, in, in Legacy, do you board out your Force of Wills? And if so, like, in what matchups? Um, I'm actually writing an article on that right now that's due to go up on Friday. It's called uh, How to Beat Force of Will. Uh, because, basically, like, I, I, I sort of wrote it as a back-to-basics. Like, here's how I would go about thinking about how to attack a given part of a legacy metagame. And, like, if you think about what Force of Will actually is, it's a five-mana counterspell that you want to cast for free pretty much all of the time, and it costs you two cards. Like, you can't possibly want that in every matchup. It's obviously fine if you're fighting over very specific cards, but, like, against, say, Zoo. What card of theirs is worth two of yours? Especially since your blue cards are all awesome. They're like Brainstorm and Ponder and Daze, which should be worth one of their cards because they tap out all the time. And, like, all of your blue cards are worth at least a card. You know, Brainstorm draws a card and it does other things. Ponder draws a card and it does other things. Like, all of your blue cards are awesome. You don't really want to throw any of them away. So, like, your Force of Will can become a Ghastly Demise, and now you got rid of their Wild Nakatl just as easily, and you still have the Staves. So it's like you countered their Knight of the Reliquary for free because you boarded out Force of Will. So you're like one of my friends. It says that uh, Force of Will is the most expensive mind rot ever printed, and it targets yourself. So you agree with that, I guess. In, but in certain matchups, of course. Yeah, I think that you know I, I I boarded out on the play against Merfolk all the time because like. Who cares if you countered their Marrow Regery versus their Lord of Atlantis? But, like, on the draw, you actually need it because, you know, having them resolve a turn one Aether Vial is actually uh, pretty hard to beat. Um, and you still have things like uh, back-to-basics that you need to worry about after sideboard. Um, but, you know, it, you, you definitely want to uh, lean on cards like Thought Season Days uh, post sideboard against Morphoke because their deck is just so redundant. Like, 
it's a bunch of two twos, and they're mostly lords or they're silver gale like, That's the deck. Right, so you mostly want Force of Will against, like, the combo matchups, or if you yourself are combo, right, to force some important spell through? Yeah, and I would add that it's probably pretty good in the control mirrors, where you care about one specific uh, plan. Like, t- when I'm playing Team America, um, what I want to do is basically resolve a Jace the Mind Sculptor against a control deck. Because I have Wastelands for their Mistress Factories, I have Stifles for their Engineered Explosives, I just need to actually stick a Jace, and it's really hard for me to lose from there. And, you know, so, like, I boarded my Maelstrom Pulses to get their Elspeths, you know, like, uh, the, the full range of things, and so I just structure a game plan around resolving this one card. And this card is probably worth, like, five or six cards. Like, a- right. actual cards... So spending two to try and resolve it is actually very worthwhile. But in counterbalance mirrors, like I heard people were boarding out their force of wills. And you, you, so you believe that's incorrect? I, I do. I think that in counterbalance mirrors, um, game ones are decided basically by who locks the other one first, and uh, game twos, it, you have a bunch of proactive sideboard cards. Uh, like, you have Crows and Grips, so you can actually blow up their Sensei's Divining Tops and stuff. Um, but you still want to actually be able to fight over cards. And there's a point where you probably have both resolved your tops, and you have, you know, your Counterspell. And, you know, your your, your Ponder, or your, um, your, your Blue Card, your second Counterbalance or whatever, isn't actually all that important. And so you, you do have a number of dead cards in the matchup where, you know, like, you, you have diminishing returns on certain cards. Your second counterbalance is a lot worse than your first and so on. Um, right. And and so you're willing to pitch those to force a will, um, especially when you're fighting over, say, protecting your Tarmogoyf. Like, they cast their Sower of Temptation or whatever their trump card is, and you're like, no, I'll counter that. Or, sure, that's fine, that resolves. Swords to plowshares it, and they force it, and you need to be able to force back. So would you say that Force of Wheel is overrated? Um, I would say that it's actually probably accurately rated. I think that it is um, probably about as good as you think it is. Um, okay, which so... Is to say that it's very influential, it's important in the format, but it's not something that you never cut. Brainstorm is a card I've literally never sideboarded out. Okay, so here's, I guess, follow-up question. <coughs> Top five overrated cards in Legacy. Ooh. Overrated cards in Legacy. God, I spend so much time thinking about, like, the best cards in Legacy, right? Like, Ether Vial's awesome, Dark Ritual's awesome, like, and so on. Yep. Overrated cards. Yeah, overrated cards. That's a tough one. It's tough. People uh, think they're awesome, but they're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I love you guys. Uh, Mother of Runes, I don't understand why people cast that card. Okay, so that's that's one. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's obviously very, very good in the aggro mirror, but, like, since I'm always on the blue control side of the table, it consistently underperforms against me. So there's that. Um, I think that Stoneforge Mystic is overrated right now in Legacy. 
Um, I think that people have a love affair with it, very rightly so, because it's insane and standard. Um, but it's not actually, you know, all that in a bag of chips in Legacy. Why not? Like it, because it gets an equipment, so you, you, you pay two mana. Because remember, what's important in Legacy is not cards, it's mana. The first three turns, you should be able to do a lot of different things, because if you haven't used, like, five or six of you, the six mana that you have available to you in the first three turns, you're probably falling pretty far behind. Like, imagine Merfolk missing its third land drop twice. And then imagine, like, how it's supposed to beat Zoom now. Yeah, right? I mean, I understand that it's mana management, and, I mean, some decks do crazy things. I mean... Some decks on turn one use three mana to put a sh- uh, Amrakul in play, you know? Right. Like, and that's that understandable. the game all the way to, like, turn seven. Yeah. Where, like, you know, it's theoretically reasonable that you could actually put a 15-15 into play. So so that's happening, but, like, Stoneforge has a different... Uh, it's it's The deck has a different game plan. It's a different, like... Uh, it's obviously not trying to put an Amrakul in play by turn three, you know? Right, so... If if Stoneforge isn't a two drop, like like in the sense that you're not going to cast on turn two, you're going to cast your Dark Confidant or your Hymn to Turok on turn two. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But then on turn four, can't you be doing something more powerful? Like, wouldn't you just rather have an Elspeth? I mean, maybe. Like, in, in from my point of view, it's like. And this is this is dangerous because we go into magic fantasy land. But it's like, <laughs> but but it's like, what's wrong with like Thoughtseize? And then on turn two, you decide if you want to play a Stoneforge or you know play something else. You know what I mean? Like, because once you Thoughtseize them, you kind of have a general idea. Like, strip them. I mean, sometimes if you Thoughtseize them, you're like, oh shit, like I'm totally screwed. You know? But like. <laughs> I've actually never felt that way when I thought seized someone, but like that must be the worst feeling ever to thought see someone and be like, "Yep, damned if I do, damned if I don't." (laughs) Well, I once played Ant and thought seized my opponent and saw his hand was like three Force of Wills and like two Spell Pierces, and I was like, "Crap!" (laughs) (laughs) And I remember like dressing him later and an Infernal Tutor. Yeah, and I dressed him later, and he'd drawn the fourth Force of Will, and I was like, wow. <laughs> so you go to the next game. This is more interesting to me than the uh, the overrated cards. You've actually never thought, see, someone looked at your hand and was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm just dead. <laughs> I mean, like, you, you should be able to look at someone's hand and figure out, like, how the cards fit together such that if you, like, pull the right piece out, you can yell Jenga, and their hand falls apart. And, like, there are hands where, like, that doesn't happen because you, like, thought sees into a hand of, like, land, land, tarmogoyf, brainstorm, ponder, days. And, like, yeah, okay, like, I guess you take their tarmogoyf and they brainstorm into another one. And, like, they ponder into another one. Like, take a card, play their fetch land, activate it, like, cast their brainstorm, and now they just, like, have a completely different hand. But, you know, it, it's not like you're, you're just, like, oh, God, totally done. Like, you, you should be able to make them use their mana in, inefficiently at some point. You should be able to 
figure out what their strongest card is against you. You should be able to figure out why they kept their hand and what their game plan is and take the card that's most integral to that. Like, I think like, that that's great should, advice, but there was, t- there was a time where I thought sees the Storm opponent, and I looked at her hand and I just remember thinking, I'm just dead. Like, no matter which card I take... Like, he has four pieces of mana and two pieces of action, and, like, both of his pieces of action are just going to win him the game, no, qu- yeah. no question. Yeah, it was just like, I looked at the hand, and I'm just like, well, that doesn't really matter at all. And now I'm at 18, so he can storm less. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why I play Force of Will instead of Stoneforge Mystic, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess at that point, Stoneforge Mystic doesn't even matter. <laughs> but anyway, so Stoneforge Mystic... Mother runes. I'm noticing a trend here. We're, we're all in white cards so far. Yeah, I think that white has experienced a renaissance in Legacy, and it's awesome that it's experienced a renaissance in Legacy, but ultimately, it's a spell format, and we're talking about playing white creatures, which means that you're playing theoretically white spells, and I can't Name more than one good white spell. And it sorts to push airs. What about huh. Armageddon? That card's sweet, but I don't know if it's good. <laughs> not play, then. I mean, like, I, I suppose, like, if, if you were on the plan of run hotter than God himself, then <laughs> Armageddon's tax is probably the best deck in Legacy. Understand that there were words that I said before the phrase Armageddon Stacks is the best deck in Legacy. No, we're just going to cut out the rest of the words. (laughs) It's Um, like tagline, Armageddon Stacks is the best deck in Legacy, Drew Levin. We're going to edit it together so when you're saying, I'm writing my article next Friday, or for Friday. Armageddon Stacks is the best deck. (laughs) Oh, man. They'll be so upset when they're like, how to beat Forza well? Oh, I get it. It's still about Armageddon stacks, right? <laughs> True spirit. That's how you beat it. <laughs> oh, man. So, Nazi uh, man, where are we at? I think, I think, wow, two hours with Drew. I think it's time to uh, slowly shut it down despite, uh, we love Drew. I, I think we'd love to have you as a guest again sometime in the future. Definitely. <laughs> I, I love how KYT says that like he's just discovering it for the first time. He's like, I think we would, uh, I think we would love to have you as a guest again. Like, like, <laughs> like, of course, it's Drew Levin. Come on. Man, he, yeah. I clearly don't know KYT that well. He's always like that. Yeah, I, I asked Drew like from the beginning, like before I even started episode one. I think if even you want when people to were made a gaming against each other. Yeah. <laughs> Before I mean, like, even the A team. <laughs> at some point, like I, I didn't want to be like, oh yeah, well I uh, I just started this Twitter thing, so I guess I'll hop on the first podcast that invites me. Like, <laughs> got, gotta slow your roll a little bit, right? <laughs> I think I can I can uh, learn a little bit of a lesson in the whole slow your roll business, you know. I don't but like you're Robin Hood. You yeah. you just you uh you very ethically rip people off. <laughs> and, uh, you, you walk into local stores and trade Jaces to eight-year-olds with tears in their eyes for $150 each, right? Like, that's you? Of course, of course. Yeah, so don't slow your roll at all. Just, like, keep <laughs> going with your $150 Jaces, and we'll exactly. be here growing up very slowly. I have these arrows. I want to use them. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, from from a, and not to, like, open a whole can of worms here, but, like, just quickly, ethically... Did you you had something to say about ethics or? Like, I mean, did, I, I was I was intrigued by 
the discussion of um, speculation on value. Like, when you were trading for all of those uh, Goblin Ringleaders and Curse Catchers, like you said, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure that there are people in your forums who would say, oh, well, like, you you knew that they would go up. But, like, you didn't know that. It's not like you had an ironclad guarantee from God himself that God was like, yo, John, like, funny story, these curse catchers are going to score. Well, <laughs> actually... You just got a fax one day and you were like, curse catcher is 50 cents, will be $4. Like, oh, thanks, stock ticker from the divine. Like, no, he calls so me glad to get that one from you. <laughs> um, like, it... I, I think that speculation is very much an art and not at all a science. So people who argue that, like, you ought not get value or, like, trading is a cooperative thing. Like, sure, trading is a cooperative thing. But, like, if I want to trade you my, you know, Stoneforge Mystic at 12 and it's the Wednesday before a Pro Tour and the Pro Tour is in France, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know about the Stoneforge Mystic. Like, it's whatever. I guess they printed a new sword, but, like... I want to play Venge Finds. And you're like, oh, well, I have these two Venge Finds, and I'm feeling charitable, so I'll trade them to you. I'll trade two of my Venge Finds to you for your four Stoneforge Mystics. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a very generous trade, John. Why, thank you. And, like, you you somehow have been talking with, like, Brad and Luis, and you know that Stoneforge Mystic's going to be a solid 25 afterwards. Like, who's getting ripped off here? No one, right? Or is it you? Or is it them? No, because. no one. I mean, I don't think anyone's getting ripped off in in many cases that people would say people are getting ripped off. You know, right? I mean, I think that like with the with the goblin ringleaders, like here's an example. I, I don't even have to. The card doesn't even have to go up. I was just like, kids are getting into legacy. Like eight year old kids are getting into legacy at my shop. No, <laughs> no. Um, people seven, are getting right? <laughs> yeah. People are getting into legacy at my shop. So. I'm going to go and get all these common uncommons that my shop owner uh, has not stocked, okay? And then I am going to charge them X dollars for these things. So, like, uh, Ringleader, I think I traded them at 250 a piece, And I don't know what they're at. Like, I have no idea. I haven't looked at the price of them. But I've traded them at 250 and I picked them up for, like, 50 cents, you know? Right. So, like, these kids, they don't have any access to these cards, in the local shop. I mean, they can buy them online, but I don't know. They just don't want to or whatever. So I mean, shipping takes a lot out of... Commons you know. and uncommons, yeah. Right. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't even a question of, are these going to go up? It's just a question of, okay, I, I know I can get them for X here, and I can ship them for Y here, you know? Yeah. And, like, that that just is. It's It's not ripping off, and it's not, you know, ripping yourself off. Like, what if... You know, everyone on Channel Fireball had lost, and the the Pawblade deck had never broken out. Like, did, then people would did, probably did still be still playing standard. No. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> people would still be playing standard. Stoneforge would be like a fifteen dollar card, and eventually someone would be like, "Oh, Stoneforge Mystic, sort of feast and famine. This seems like a good deck idea." And like, <laughs> they they would probably make it, and it would be like a bad version, and like. You know, someone would do well with it on Modo, and, like, it would still just be. Um, but that doesn't mean that either person gets ripped off in, you know, the two Vendefines for, two Stoneforge, for four Stoneforge Mystic trade. 
how do you feel like where do you feel that the ripoff happens? Like, okay, we understand that you don't feel like X, Y, or Z is ripping someone off, but where would you draw a line for ethical, like, trading? Like, where do you think it's a bad thing to, or it's an unethical thing to do? Like, what scenario would fit an unethical thing to do? Um, I, I think that a lot of it is sort of who you're comfortable being, right? Like, there, there are a lot of things that, it, like, in, in competitive magic play, that aren't illegal, but if you go and tell your friends, like, oh, I did this to, like, my opponent, they'll be like, wow, you're scum. And you'll be like, huh, well, I never thought about it like that. And then you have to decide whether or not you're scum. Like, it's that sort of thing. Like, it, 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 ethics are a socially determined uh, norm. And so you, you basically sort of have to take everyone else's word for it. Or you can just be like, Eh, fuck y'all and y'all opinions. Um, I'm going to think this way about myself. I think that I'm a true gentleman. And y'all can hate me, but uh, I don't think so. And, and you know, that, that's one way of doing it. But you're pretty guaranteed to lose friends because people like to think that their opinions matter. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, it, it, at least in terms of, like, people that they care about and, and their development. I said the same. I said the same thing in my article about competitive play, I, I drew the same parallel between competitive play and uh, and basically trading. And I used the example of uh, Jerry T's final match uh, when he was playing against the Goblins deck with Coblane. Sure. And, and, and he had the uh, Goblin Guide had a, um, a Warcry trigger, so the mm-hmm. Goblin Guide was a 3-2, and he blocked with a Stoneforge and with a Hawk. And then, right. like, a- after damage was assigned... Nobody pointed out damage. He just took the Stoneforge. Right, he, didn't, like, he didn't say how much damage do you want to assign to my Stoneforge Mystic. He just the guy said Stoneforge first, and then Jerry Vince's his Stoneforge. Yep. And then he left the hawk, and the guy was perfectly in his right to say, "Hey, right." You know, he, could, he could have said no deal two to your Stoneforge and one to your hawk. Yeah, and he didn't. Right. Sure. But, um, but I mean, like that—that's the guy's fault for not doing his due diligence. I mean, there, there's also levels of like. You know, how big is your charm of life? And, like, I'm guilty of doing that exactly once because I took my friend's temperature on it and they were all like, yeah, that's completely vile. And I was like, okay, never doing that again. Um, because my opponent was like, how big is your charm of life? And I was like, I don't know. And then he makes a bad attack and I block. And he's like, how big is your charm of life? And I'm like, well, let's check. And <laughs> then, like, it turns out that his block was, his attack was completely ill-advised based on how big my Tarmogoyf was, but since it's not actually public information, it's not like I have to be like, oh, well, my Tarmogoyf is a 6-7. Can you tell him, like, is this against the rules to tell him my Tarmogoyf's uh, five, five, uh, that is That is illegal. That's lying to your opponent. Okay. Uh, definitely don't do that one. That's cheating. Uh, but I, you can't not say, that I would. I, not that I would. I'm just saying. I, mean, like, I don't. I don't know. Is about as shady as you can get before you start getting into like actually cheating. But like, it, it, it's like the the extreme end of angle shooting. And, to me, you know, it, like to me, that doesn't even like appear shady. Like, if someone asked me how big is my time life, I'd be like, I don't know. Check. You got right, eyes. But I, I, I wasn't like. Feel <laughs> welcome to check. I'd be like, I don't know. Attacks. And he was like, Oh well, zone with the team. And I was like, oh, well, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> and like, That wasn't a very good play, but... Uh... I mean, like, he did what he did, and I did what I did. And I feel like that's a lot of, you know, John's point, is 
you know, if, if my trading partner isn't going to do his due diligence of seeing what stores are buying my card at, then, you know, why am I responsible for uh, telling him things that he ought to have, you know, done for himself? I mean, I, I, I can see where he's where his point lies, um, and I'm intrigued as to um, why people wouldn't just say, okay, well, I'd never do that. Um, and I'm uncomfortable when people would do that to me. Uh, and so I don't like it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to, like, denounce the person as the spawn of Satan. <laughs> people do that to me? No. <laughs> I, I mean, like, there, there are clearly, like, people who will take their edges where they can get them. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It is. It just is. Yeah. I think I think this is a huge topic that we probably should save for another another time. I, I feel the clock Nazi standing at my door, knocking <laughs> on it. <laughs> We're through. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, man, why do you always have to make me feel like the bad guy? <laughs> you're what? Robin Hood. You're Robin Hood. I'm like this rich clock guy. Nazi. You're the, the, the Lord of Buckingham, is it? Buckingham? <laughs> He's the uh, sheriff. Sheriff. Oh, sheriff, right. yes. Yeah. Sheriff. Buckingham. Oh, man. Frankie, I guess you're Maid Marion. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, uh, what's it, Little John? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, we, we actually uh, we Alex and I got through the cast without uh, fighting with each other. That's pretty awesome. Maybe we need Drew all the time. <laughs> Drew, I, I wanted to maker. I wanted to ask you, Drew, are you going to any non-legacy GPs? Like oh. I don't because I just noticed you like really from GP Columbus, of course, the incident. Then you took your big like some sort of a break before you actually started. I went writing for to Star GP City. Atlanta. Um, okay. I went 6003, learned a lot. Um, and the next, I'm not going to GP Dallas because I'm going to be grinding SCG Opens because, like, truth be told, the EV on SCG Opens is just astronomically higher than GPs, assuming that you don't care about pro points, um, okay. which right now I don't. And then legacy GPs are just awesome because, you know, it's high level play, there's pro players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a format that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, I might end up going out to GP Kansas City just because, um, I want to get better at limited. I have a bunch of friends in Kansas City. Um, so I might do that. And, you know, I, I haven't really looked too closely at the rest of the GP schedule because I've been focusing on uh, getting up to level eight for the uh, SEG Open series. Okay. There's there's actually a GP in Montreal, and uh, in case you didn't know, KYT has a haunted house. So we, <laughs> I think he oh, might to get sick. you up there. Uh, when is the uh, GP in Montreal? September. It's, yes. M11, M no M12 sealed. Um, well, I'll definitely see if I can make it to that one. I think. Frank and I, most likely, I don't know if our plans are finalized, we'll most likely get to meet you at GP Providence. So, Very that's nice. going to be sick. I, ho I hope to be there, too. Sounds good. I, we're, we already have a uh, hotel uh, reserved for Providence, so I, I think we're going. 
<laughs> he's like, okay, my auntie's gonna owe me some money. <laughs> he's gonna tr- have to find me in my haunted house, so I don't think he's gonna come in. <laughs> Tell him to bring his dual lands. <laughs> so, Drew, is there anything you would like to plug? Of course, your article coming up on Friday. I'm gonna be posting this cast, uh, good old Thursday morning, so. There's that to check out. So what else can we look forward to? Um, follow me on Twitter, MTG Legacy. Um, oh. Yeah, as, as usual. Um, I don't know. This guy, this guy definitely needs more followers. Definitely deserves at least 1,000. Let's get him there. Yeah, I think he needs more followers than Medina. <laughs> Not happening. I cannot tell you guys how to get rich, sadly. <laughs> um, I think I think Jonathan sold his sold to the devil to get that many followers on this. Maybe he just is the devil. Just shortcut it. <laughs> oh, come on, come on! It's supposed to be Robin Hood. He can't. Be you the heard devil. it here first. Robin Hood could be the devil. I don't know, man. <laughs> Everyone go and back and he's always your, uh, he's your always Robin telling Hood. us his Jesus story to him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's fixated on the Bible. I'm th- throwing that stuff in there. Hey, man. Yeah. Are you so fixated on the Bible because you're in it? <laughs> I was actually a pretty main character in the Bible. <laughs> so bad. Something about bringing the light or something. Or slithering around on the ground. Or Yep, yep. Before magic, I think you were doing Bible studies, right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. I used to uh, used to lead Bible studies before I became a um, a, a magician, a thief. <laughs> <laughs> I I just wonder how, what some people think about that. You know, they're like, this guy used to lead Bible studies, and now he's leading the masses into like robbery and you know. <laughs> Come on, John, you should use, you shouldn't say thief. You should say wealth distributor. Okay. <laughs> or I distribute the wealth from serve. their binder into my binder. <laughs> performing a serve. It's like it's like the guys on Wall Street that they're not thief, they're wealth distributors. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is the worst, man. I think Medina has taken the biggest beating on this cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So follow MTG Legacy, please. And uh, unfollow right. MTG Medina. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Les Medina. <laughs> Let's see some Les Medinas in the oh. comments. Frank, give oh, shout outs. Did you see the one guy who said... Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> did you see the one guy who said Les Medina? And then he goes into this rant. He's like, Les Medina. Okay, I really don't believe that, but at least somebody should say it. Somebody should <laughs> up for Les Medina. <laughs> so you Frank. Go. Oh, continue. No, 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 go ahead. Frank, shout out. I'd like to give uh, a shout out to um, KYT. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you. You beat I think me he can in, hear at you. the PTQ. And, uh, oh, yeah. You made top four, man. I was, uh, even though I'm always uh, trolling on you, I, I, I kind of liked it that you made it there. And uh, I was proud of you, man. <laughs> kind of liked it, okay. Man, I'm getting all choked up over here. <laughs> Hoping Alex uh, gives you a shout out, right? <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> Anyone He's else? Gonna bark at him. <laughs> Anyone else, Frank? Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm a little bit uh, shell shocked from this episode. <laughs> okay, Alex. Alex. Uh, well, first, I'd like to thank uh, Drew for coming on the cast today. 
learned a lot. I'd like um, to thank also, you guys for having me. <laughs> I also learned two other things. Number one, don't ever get in a car with Medina. And number two, <laughs> Medina really needs a mute button. He even argues with Drew. Come on, like, crazy! <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy talk! <laughs> That's Medina. Uh, also, a shout-out to William Blondin, who I forgot to give a shout-out last time, who was driver for uh, half the trip to Toronto for the TCG Player Open. He even drove KYT, which is uh, pretty pretty hard because KYT is super noisy in the car. And uh, I'd also like a shout-out to Medina's mom for making me an awesome breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so perfect, Alex. Very professional. That was so good. John, Very good. <laughs> how, can I follow, how can I follow that up? Uh, anyways, I'd like to give a shout out to Luke Sonier <laughs> for uh, for listening to our podcast and uh, reviewing it. You know, so it's always good to read his articles, even though I just pretty much skipped down to all the podcasts that I'm on. Uh, I still think it's an awesome article. <laughs> just all of them. <laughs> just all of them. Um, just give a shout out to, um, who else should I give a shout out to? Oh, uh, Evan Irwin for having an awesome Men of Magic interview, uh, this week. And, um, just like to thank Drew for coming on and, uh, setting us all straight, you know? And, anytime, uh, you guys, anytime. <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. That's okay. it. Okay. Finish it off. Crazy. Thank, thanks to Drew, obviously, again. And thanks to people like you that are willing to go on podcasts and help push, you know, the community in different ways. And the guys like you and Jerry are so good for the game. Um, thanks to John, Alex, and Frank for being with me every Wednesday <laughs> for the past five weeks. And I think... We got something good here, so let's keep this going. And see, uh, it's sad that John can't make it to uh, Providence, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to play Legacy against each other at some point. <laughs> I definitely want to play against Alex. <laughs> We're going to settle this once and for all. <laughs> what would be like? The decks that you, sh- you two should play. I'm not going to tell you what deck I picked. <laughs> you would made a game against me to <laughs> my deck. But, well, your deck would be all foil, right, Medina? Uh, probably. Like, do four, foil Jaces, do they say, like, draw four cards, put two back on top? Uh, actually, I shipped my foil Jaces this week. I shipped every Jace I owned this week. Gone. Wow. I think John has an edge, as long as he doesn't place Destructive Force, so... <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. I feel pretty confident playing against John. Well, you beat KYT at chess. I guess you could beat Medina at magic. And then we'll trade afterward and I'll just take all your good cards. That's pretty hard because I don't have any cards. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Robin Hood, lead us out. That's right, Robin Hood. You should give me some cards because I'm the poor. Okay, we'll talk more about that later. Thanks again, Drew, and you guys have been listening to Crazy Talk. Have a good day. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Take care. Later.